read a portion of Scripture that we were going to be talking about uh, in the, the long passage I read from Colossians 3, but we're going to focus primarily uh, on the last two verses of that passage for today's message. Colossians 3, if you have your Bibles, you can turn in Colossians 3, verses 16 and 17 are the two verses we're going to focus on primarily, though we will jump around a little bit in Scripture. And all the Scripture and stuff will be on the screen if you don't have a Bible or a device with you today. To look at that. So I want to begin by just reading uh, the two verses we're going to focus on here in Colossians 3. Starting in verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Heavenly Father, we do pray one more time that you would move and teach us today by your word and your spirit. Lord, would you apply these truths to our hearts, and we are thankful that you will teach us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So this passage is very simple. There's really, there's four points that we're going to hit today, and then kind of a a rule of thumb that Paul gives us in in the second verse. But the, the four points are this. The word of Christ is supposed to dwell in us richly. And then there's three things he talks about. It's supposed to dwell in us richly as we teach, as we admonish, and as we sing. Okay, and we're gonna we're gonna unpack each one of those. First, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let it dwell in you richly. The Word of God, what, the, what does the Word, how does it dwell in you? What does it mean for something to dwell, right? You, you live there. If you dwell there, that is, that is your presence. That's where you live. Uh, there's a difference in visiting a place and dwelling in a place. I used to live for, uh, in Italy for a couple of years when I was in the military. And a lot of people would come and visit and go through the town I lived in on their way to catch a ferry to Greece and, you know, they're, they're hitting all the tourist spots. They're, they're visiting. But when I lived there, because I lived there, I knew you turn down this weird alleyway, go around the corner, and there's this amazing little restaurant that nobody knows about where they bottle their own wine and they make fresh bread and the food is just unbelievable, right? I knew the little shop where the tailors were that could make you a custom-made suit for $200. I knew all about the, the little things because I dwelled there, because I lived there. I was like a local. I wasn't just visiting. And so let me ask you this question. Does the word of God, does it dwell in you? Is it something that is just a part of your life, a part of your makeup? Are you meditating on it? Do you spend time in it? It says that the word of God dwell in you richly. Is it in you in abundance, right? I had a friend who was studying, he was in med school years ago, and his name was Cliff, and I, every time I would see him, he had a book in his hand, and, and I would pull up, he'd be waiting at my house with a giant tome, you know, reading through something, and he said to me one time, he said, you know, becoming a doctor, he said, it's not that everything I do is so difficult to learn, but there's so much information. It's just overwhelming, the amount of information that we have, and so he was always reading, always consuming always meditating and thinking about the things that he had to learn. And it dwelled in him richly, right? It had to do that. And so do we have this abundance, the word of God saturating our very lives? Uh, there's, there's a verse in Hebrews 4 that says this, For the word of God is living and active. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierce, piercing 
to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Word of God is unlike anything else that you can read. Uh, My wife pointed out to me years ago, she said, you know, the school systems in our country don't do a good job of setting us up because they teach us to read for two things. They teach us to read for entertainment and for information. Now think about that. You read primarily for entertainment and information. But the Bible is the only thing that we really read for relationship. You read the Bible for relationship. You know, we can think, well, why would you read John again? I've already read John before. So if you're reading for information, that might be right. You've read it once. But you read for, for relationship. Uh, my daughter, Tirza, read Harry Potter, the first book, like 12 times. And I think she thought she was in relationship with most of them. Uh, and, and I can understand that, right? You, you get to know those characters, and there you're reading for entertainment, and it's like, oh, you're spending time with old friends. But you know what? Dumbledore is not speaking wisdom into my life. He's not shaping me. He's not changing me and molding me the way the Word of God does because it's living and active. It is working in us. It is changing us. As you're reading, God is illumining things in your mind. I mean, I can give you just a little exercise to try. Take a colored pencil, read your Bible, highlight the things that really stick out to you. Keep reading. In a year or two, you're going to come back to that same book. You're going to read that same section. And you know what? Completely different things are going to pop out to you than what you underlined before. Completely different things will you be highlighting the next time around. And it's because the Bible and God's Spirit is constantly working to shape us and mold us and change us like nothing else does. So does the Word of God indwell us richly like this? That's the first point. Now, if it does, it's supposed to do this as we're teaching. Let the Word of God dwell in you richly, teaching. Now, a lot of you might say, I'm not a teacher. This is not something that I do. No one's listening to me. I'm not the, I'm not the youth guy or a pastor. But, you know, this passage is not written to pastors. Isn't that interesting? It's written to everybody in the church. And he says that you're going to be teaching Uh, There's a great passage in Psalm 119. Now, Psalm 119 is a psalm that is all about the Word of God and how beautiful and wonderful and, and perfect it is. And so listen to this passage from 119, starting in verse 97. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Well, first of all, this is someone who the Word of Christ dwells in richly, right, to be saying this. They love it and they meditate on it all the day. Your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for it is ever with me. I have more understanding than all of my teachers, for your testimonies are my meditation. I understand more than the aged, for I keep your precepts. I hold back my feet from every evil way in order to keep your word. I do not turn aside from your rules, for you have taught me. Now think of these situations. The word of God is making the psalmist who's writing this, he's making him wiser than his enemies and his adversaries. He's having more understanding than all of the teachers that he's interacting with on a regular basis. He has more understanding than those older than him as he interacts. They may have worldly wisdom, but they don't have the wisdom that comes from God's word. Each of these are opportunities for us to teach, right, as we interact. Basically, he's just describing interaction as he goes about his daily life and his world. He's interacting and he's discovering these things, these things that are, are true of him because he is saturated with the word of God. Why is this? Why is this possible? 
it's because of the last sentence. He says, for you yourself have taught me. You know, you can listen to great preaching and great teachers, but when you are spending time in God's word, he himself is teaching you. He himself is showing you things and guiding and instructing you. And it's just, it's an incredible thing. Uh, R.C. Sproul says that, that the beginning of true knowledge is when you have knowledge of God and knowledge of self. Like when you know who God is and you know who you are in relation to God, that is the beginning of all knowledge and wisdom. And I think he's right. And we gain that the more time we spend in God's word with him. And that allows us to teach. But we are teaching, aren't we? If you're a parent, you're teaching your kids all the time. Some of you may volunteer uh, at Young Life or student ministry or children's ministry. You're teaching and pouring out, raising up the next generation of disciples uh, in this church or in the parachurch ministry. Some of you, maybe you have a Paul, a Timothy, or a Barnabas. Now, I don't know if you're not familiar with those terms. God calls each one of us to, to think about, hey, who's the, who's, the, who's the Paul in your life, that older person who's investing in you, right? Who is that person for you? Who is the Timothy, that person younger in the faith, maybe newer to the church that you can pour into and teach and pull along the way and guide? Who is that Barnabas, that peer that you have that encourages you and challenges you, right? So I just challenge, I want to challenge each of us to think, do we have those people in our lives? And if not, why not? Uh, Maybe we need to invite them in to be a part of that. So the word of God dwells in us richly. It dwells in us richly as we're teaching And the second point, or the third point, is it dwells in us richly as we admonish one another. Now, this is a a fun one, right? Do you admonish your friends in Christ? You know, to be an American today, this is like the scariest thing that we have, right? We we don't judge each other. That's the biggest sin, I think, in today's culture is to pass judgment or to think about that. And, And this is one of the problems in the church. You see, what God tells us about his church is that we actually belong to each other. Like if you're a member of Seven Hills or you're just a Christian, you're a member of God's church, that each one of us belongs to the other one. We belong one to another, and we're supposed to judge those of us that are in the church and to come alongside and correct. We're supposed to teach, and we're supposed to correct. This is something that for us as Americans is very like, whoa, I can't believe that you're asking me to do this. Uh, and, it, and it's scary, but listen to this passage from 1 Corinthians 5. We'll see what Paul says to the church at Corinth. I love this passage. He says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Well, that sounds kind of judgmental. Um, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and the swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. So right out of the gate, he's saying, you know what, when I wrote to you not to associate with those who are sexually immoral, I'm not talking about non-believers. They don't know any better. They don't, we should never expect them to adhere to the things that we know Christ demands of us, right? So, So he says, I'm not talking about them. You'd have to leave the world to do that. But listen, as he goes on to verse 11, but now I am writing you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of a brother, If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, a reviler, a drunkard, a swindler, not to even eat with such a one, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil from among you. 
So see, we are supposed to be encouraging each other. But we can't forget the last line of of that passage where he says to do this in all wisdom. We're supposed to do this in all wisdom. How we do it, how we admonish each other is important. We need to take a step towards our brothers and sisters in love and say, hey, I love you too much to see you continue in this behavior. I love you too much to see you continue to do this. And this is going to call us to do some difficult things sometimes. Sometimes when we have, we may have to put a relationship that we have on the line. We may have to put all our chips on the table and slide them over and say, you know what, this behavior that I'm seeing right now, uh, really it's just, it's incongruent with who God is. Right, that recalibration we talked about at the beginning of our hearts being recalibrated towards God. And, and, and if you're not going to change, you know, I, I need to really confront you here. And that's scary for us to do. It's scary to do that at times. But there are times that God calls us to do that because, again, we belong to each other. And it's important. There's times we have to put that relational capital on the line. And let me ask you another question. Is it okay with you for someone else to admonish you? If it is, that's a good thing for you to ask yourself and then even to ask a friend, invite them to do that. Give them permission and say, hey, you're, you're a sister in Christ or you're a brother in Christ. I want you to really look at my life. And if you see something that's there that doesn't belong, I have blind spots, right? We all do. We all have blind spots. Would you speak truth into my life uh, to do that? That's what the church is supposed to be about, where we uh, have the ability to speak truth into each other's life, to sharpen each other the way that God calls us to do. So we're to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we teach. We're to have the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we admonish each other. And lastly, we're to have the word of Christ dwell in us as we sing. Singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. I love I love this idea. I love this line in this passage where he says that, you know, I, I don't know about you. I find it really hard. I've read about it in, in uh, plays or musicals or things where people sing when they're sad or angry. But that has just never been my experience. I never am in the shower really, you know, down and just break out in song. But when I'm joyful, I do, right? When I'm filled with God's joy, It is easy to sing. It makes me think of Buddy the Elf, right? The best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. That's right. You want to jump in and go, I'm singing, right? And you want to just bust out and sing when you're filled with joy. And he's telling us that the word of Christ should dwell in us richly as we sing. Does your relationship with Christ make you joyful? Is that something that people see? Because, again, we're not all good singers, and that's okay. You don't really have to bust out in singing. But I think, he's, I think this can mean something deeper than that, right? That, that if the word of Christ is dwelling in us richly, our life will sing. Our life will sing. And evangelism gets so much easier talking to people about Jesus when they're like, why are you so happy? Why are you so joyful? What is it about you when I see this thing happening in your life and yet this joy is breaking through? Can you tell me about that? Well, yes, I can. Because the word of Christ is is supposed to dwell in us richly. Joy is not 
an emotion, right? We get that confused sometimes. Happiness is an emotion. Happiness is dependent on your circumstances, but joy is an attitude. It's an attitude that comes from a confidence that we have, and this confidence that we have is because of who we are in Christ. We have so much to be joyful about. I mean, think about this. The God of the universe came to earth, became a man. He lived the perfect life that you and I could not live. He died the death that we deserve. And he gave us his perfect record. He applied it to us. So we are no longer a slave to sin and to death. That's something to be joyful about. That's something that no matter what the circumstances I'm facing, when I hold on to that truth, that that joy starts to permeate beyond my circumstances. That is the good news. That's what the gospel means, is the good news. And it's incredible news. So lastly, Paul closes with this rule of thumb. He says, And whatever you do in word and deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. Word or deed just means that anything that we say and anything that we do, we're to do that in the name of Christ. Now think about how, how that, different that looks. I go throughout my day thinking about me and my time and my schedule. Uh, instead of thinking, okay, this really should be for Christ, the way that I'm living today. How would it look differently if we could apply just this one verse to our life on a regular basis? What would it look like going to work if we said, okay, God, today is your day. You've called me to work in this office or wherever it is that I'm working. And everyone that I interact with today, I just pray that that glorifies you. That changes a lot, doesn't it, in the way you look at going to work on Monday morning? Or if you could walk into that algebra class that you hate and say, okay, God, I don't know why you have me in this class. I'm not really good at math, but I know you put the people around me in this room. How am I supposed to minister to them? What are you calling me to learn today in this example? How does it affect when we go to play sports and you step on that field or that court and you think, okay, as I go do this, I'm doing this not for myself, but to glorify God. How does it change the way that we play, the way that we interact with others? What about when it comes to stewarding my body? Do I eat that? Should I go to sleep? Am I doing this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ who gave me this body as a gift? Or even stewarding the environment, right? You can apply this to anything, and it really radically changes the way you look at these things if you can just apply this passage and say everything Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus. What about your free time? I mean, this is, guys, I'm the worst at this. How many times when I have a spare moment do I pull out my phone and start just scrolling, right? Because I think it's my free time. This is what I want to do. Well, what if, what if I give my free time to God and say, okay, God, how do you want me to spend even my leisure time, my downtime? How can I give that and dedicate that to you? It changes everything in the way that we approach life. Uh, Randy Pope, my old pastor, said something that I, I love the way he used to say it over and over again. He would say, you know, God doesn't want something from you, but he wants something for you. 
God doesn't want something from you. He wants something for you. And we see that reflected in John 10, 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. But I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus has this abundant life that he is holding out to you. So in closing, let me just say this. If you're a believer today, what's keeping you from having the world dwell in you richly? What's keeping that from happening? The God of the universe has things that he wants to say to you each and every day. And what is keeping you from spending time with him? I mean, that's pretty crazy that the God of the universe wants to be with you relationally and spend time with you. What is blocking you from that? How are you teaching, admonishing, and singing? Is the song of your heart, does it reflect the joy? Does it permeate everything that you do, this infectious joy that we are to have? And if you're here today and you're skeptical about all of this, about who Jesus is, and you're like, I don't know, I don't know if this is true. I don't know what this is about. Let me ask you this. What is the song of your life? What is it that is giving you joy? Because Jesus is saying right now, that he created you and he, he has a plan for your life and he wants to know you personally. You know, if you have questions about that, uh, I would love to speak with you after the service or if you came with a friend who attends this church regularly, I'm sure they could also answer your questions. But don't, don't leave without uh, investigating and knowing that you can know Jesus today in a personal way. All right, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you Lord, we thank you for your word that is living and active, that works in us and through us. Lord, and we thank you for the gift of your son through whom abundant joy is available to us. God, I ask that you would teach us uh, as we read your word and that you would help us to teach, to admonish. But most of all, God, that you would help us to sing, to sing with our lives, to let that joy just permeate through us as we interact with our friends, with our family, with our neighbors and our coworkers, God, so that your kingdom would come on earth as it is in heaven. In Christ's name I pray.